good morning. I had it off. It wasn't the sound guy. It was me. <laughs> How is everyone? Let's stand and let's worship Jesus this morning together. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts on you. Come and do what you do. Cause we need you. We need you. Continue to worship.
wake you up? See, we've done that like five times this morning, so we're really awake. <laughs> so we're excited about it. God is good, and he's doing so much and moving and grooving, and he's also very individual in taking care of us. He gives us so many reasons to trust him and to love him and to believe him, and it's exciting to be able to worship a God that's alive and that moves and that cares about every single thing in your life. He really cares about you. And so it's awesome to be able to sing about him too.
You guys can have a seat. Boy, isn't it good to come all together and to be able to worship together? There's something so special about God's kids coming together and just sitting in the same room and lifting his name up. We have a big and mighty God. I was reading this morning about the woman that came to wash Jesus' feet. And something popped out at me today that I hadn't really noticed before, but the way that they ate around the tables then is they were really low to the ground, and I knew that. But they laid down at them, and they'd lean on an elbow, and then they'd eat in a very relaxed setting. So she came into this room full of Pharisees and Jesus, and she had a lot of sin in her life. So to approach them and to come into the same room that they were eating in was very intimate. And it would not have been an easy thing for her to do. But then she sat down at the feet of Jesus that was sprawled out behind him. And that's when she poured that precious oil that she had on his feet. And then she started crying. And her tears washed him. I don't know if I would have been brave enough to walk into that room with all the Pharisees and Jesus sitting there. But she did. She didn't let one thing stand in her way. She was getting to her Jesus. Are we doing that? Made me examine my heart this morning. Am I doing everything I can to get to you? Even if I'm just at his feet, it's the best place to be. So will you come with me? Who wants to go to Jesus' feet? Man, I want to be there. So we're going to sing this song we introduced to you again last week. Because you belong at his feet. He wants you there. There's nothing that can keep you away from his grasp. And he won't kick you out of the room. And he won't tell you to leave. He'll pull you in closer. And he'll tell you to stay with him because he loves you so much. So we're going to sing this again. So sing it with us.
Taking all I have and now I'm laying it at your feet You'll have every failure, God You'll have every victory Ooh, You say I'm above I can't feel a thing You say I'm strong But I think I'm weak You say I'm hell But I am falling short
Let's sing that chorus one more time together. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. You are my greatest joy. So just to remind everyone, I didn't bring a mug up with me, but we have the WLC coffee mugs available at the cafe. They're $12. If you want to purchase one to put into a a visitor's bag, that would be awesome too. So um, they're really nice and they're good to hold. Is anybody else like to hold a mug in here besides Jackie and me? We like to hold our mugs. Okay, well, they're good, they're good holding mugs in case you needed to know that. So they're out there. You can see Nancy Springston for those. The other thing I wanted to remind you of, the Christmas child boxes are out in the hallway over here. You can still get a box and fill those up for kids. Um, it's part of Good Samaritan's Purse. And um, we love that ministry, and we are really trying to fill as many of those boxes as we can. So everything's out there, all the details. You can see that, or you can see Cindy Rumsey as well. And then we also want to remind you, trunk or treat, it's coming up quick. 
We still need candy, so if someone, if you guys want to donate or if you're on the list to donate, please bring your candy in, drop it off at the office, because we still are in need of that. We also um, are going to have a concessions stand for the youth, so they can um, use that money that they get at concessions towards their ministries throughout the year. And they are going to have popcorn, cotton candy, soda and pizza so you don't have to worry about eating dinner before you come so you're welcome to come and see that and then we're going to watch the movie monsters inc starting at 7 30 and it'll be a drive-in theater you get to tune it in on your radio and everything it's going to be perfect for you to sit out there if it's cold it'll be nice and toasty in your car also i wanted to tell you you all received on your seats these little discs that tell about our um trunk or treat so you can, I've made these to give to my neighbors, and you can just stick it on, a, on top of a pumpkin and go tell your neighbor about it. Invite them to come. It's no fun when it's just us. It's way more fun when we have more people and, and we get our neighbors involved and, and they're able to participate and we can love on them. So you're welcome to, to give it out. However, if you want to make them a pie, that's fine too. But pumpkins I thought was kind of fun, so we're doing that too. Pastor Greg's training is on November 7th at 9.30 in the morning. More to follow on that as well. So um, the last thing I want to tell you is we have a new offering box. If you didn't see it, it's out in the foyer. It's by the table sitting right out behind the sound booth out there. It's beautiful, and you can drop your, your offering in there, or there's the plates that we still have here, but those will be disappearing after a little while. We're going to get used to using that, but that, it's its first Sunday here, so welcome it. <laughs> All right, so I think... That is everything, and do we have a video now? No, we're good, so Pastor Matt's going to come and give us the word. Right. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. What a great morning of worship. It was great. Uh, Good songs. Good to hear your voices. Even beyond, there's masks that can't stop the sound of your voice. Some of you louder than others, but it sounds good. And uh, I don't know if anyone's told you this week, but I just want you to know, uh, I want you to hear at least once this week, you are a good church. Uh, God is doing good things here in our midst. And uh, yes, that's right. We thank God for what he's doing at Woodland Life Center. I, I, a, couple, just a couple things just to share. You know, we talked about that new, um, that new box that was built. Um, our treasurer, Jerry Yoder, built that, and it looks great. He did a great... What a, what a great treasurer that not only, you know, counts for us, but also, you know, builds the boxes to put the stuff in, right? I mean, so thank you, Jerry. That was good. If you need any woodworking done, he is your man. <laughs> He's going to kill me after this, of course. But uh, also, um, I want to just kind of give you an update that this, uh, these past two weeks we've had our membership class. We have five people in our membership class. It's been going well. It's been really good. If you missed this one, don't worry. We're going to have another one in the, in the spring. But uh, it's just good to see good things happening. I hear of good things going on all the time. Looking forward to the trunk or, or treat as well as the drive-in movie. They did a dry run of that where they put the, you know, the, the, the picture up on the side of the building, and it's huge. It looked great. You're going to enjoy it. Well, I'm going to get right at it. We have lots happening today, so it's going to be a great day of worship uh, as we continue. Um, but I, I want us to go, if, if you have your Bibles, please open to James chapter 3. 
And we're going to start there, but James chapter 3, verse 13. And in James 3, 13, we're going to begin there, but we're going to actually move right into chapter 4. And so uh, I, but as, as, we're, as you're doing that and as you're looking that up or on your phone or whatever you have, your tablet, I want to uh, just uh, remind you that James... Uh, you've seen this theme throughout his scripture, and it's talking about faith and action. But here's the issue. Here's the common predicament that he keeps bringing us back to and saying to us, you know what, there's an issue here. There's a struggle that we have. It's, it's a struggle that you don't even have to turn on the TV to see. You don't even have to listen to the news or whatever else. Uh, but it's our common predicament. We're all stuck in this crazy, broken world of sin. I don't even have to, I don't even have to read the newspaper. I mean, I just, I know that because sometimes I struggle with things. I struggle with, man, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. I, but we all have this common predicament. Fifty years ago, a, a voice was heard through space uh, that said these words. In 1970, Houston, we have a problem. And the message was relayed to NASA's, NASA's Mission Control Center. And there, it, it's, uh, it, it, it was in Houston, and, and it was made by a guy whose name, his first name is Jack. And, and he said, we have a problem because they had actually began to do what they normally should do, and it's a protocol where they would stir the oxygen tanks, and when they pushed the button to stir the oxygen tanks this time to keep them basically from freezing, what happened was, you can just kind of see it right here, it exploded. It was a huge situation. They found themselves in this crazy predicament, and it was due to damaged wire insulation that was inside of the tank. Now, the men inside of the service module, they did nothing wrong. It was the routine stirring of the tanks that they were always supposed to do. But during the assembly of this tank, long before they ever pushed any buttons out there in space, there was a failure in quality control. And a wire with that damaged insulation past inspections, three astronauts found themselves in over 200,000 miles from Earth in a common predicament, and their very lives were in the balance because of a situation that was not of their making. It's a situation that wasn't even within their control. What I found interesting there Number one, there's this correlation with you and me that we find ourselves in this common predicament that is not of our making as well. But, but here's what is very interesting is when this happened and these men are, are spinning around the earth 200,000 plus miles above us, what did our country do? Well, here's the amazing thing. Is America turned to God in prayer. Not only did they, they pray, but this picture was actually taken in a town called Coventry, England, where they asked their kids at that time, would you, we're just going to take a time here in England for all of our kids to just stop and let's just pray as well for those astronauts that we're not sure if they're going to make it back or not. They turned 
to God. And I just want you to think about that for just a moment. Within some of our lifetimes here, the first response to tough times in our world was to turn to God. Think about that. James is exposing the fact that humanity is in a common predicament of sin. Houston, or, or heaven in this case, heaven help us, we have a problem. Amen? Today, you, I want you again just to, to pull out your Bible, and, and I'm not going to have all the scriptures up front because we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's actually it's going to be driven by James, the author himself today. But, but pull out your Bible, your phone, use the Bible app, whatever you need to do, um, or use that as an excuse to text your friends. And, and <laughs> but the reason is this, is because today, in the midst of what we are studying um, in this section of James, he's using a literary form that scholars are called uh, contrastive parallelism. Between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And when this was written, I want you to remember, when he wrote these words, this, this book, this, this letter, there were no numbers, there was no chapter 3, there wasn't no verses. It was just like a letter that would be written to you or an email or something like that. Those things were just added later to help make it easier for us to say, oh, look at this section. But, but as he was writing this, he comes to this literary form that's actually kind of rare, but, but it's something that even if you have time later on in your, in your study, that you might want to take you know, several different highlighters and just kind of mark these parallels between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. I don't want you to miss the fact that these two places are intertwined. So as we look at that today, and we begin in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, I, I want you to know right off the bat, he's drawing us into, in these verses, into our common predicament. In verse 13, if you look at James 3, th verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now just stop there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? He's asking you a question that is actually drawing you in. These questions, these parallel questions, are drawing you in to our common predicament. And when he says these words and he says, what, 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 who is wise and understanding among you? Some of you might be there and you're thinking, it's everything that you just hold back right now to just keep from raising your hands. I'm wise. I'm understanding. I, and, and, and if your first reaction is to do that, and even if you thought that in your mind, you know, I'm pretty smart. I mean, I'm, I've got some things together. That's the hook. He's got you. Now, parallel that over to verse, or chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And many of us were probably thinking, oh, I know who does. It's that guy right there. Or it's that person over there. Or it's my spouse. She's always starting trouble. You know, and, and, and you, you might have had, your, just your first reaction was just to put up your, yeah, I know who's causing fights and quarrels amongst us. And if you did that, if you thought that, that's the hook. James has got you. <laughs> you see, it's because 
here's the real answer is that he's trying to help you begin to see where the issue really lies. And in asking you these questions, he immediately is drawing you in and you have to have an answer of some sort. And if your answer is always to point out, he's going to have you by the hook and he's going to remind you here real quick, actually, it should be pointing back at me. I'm the issue. I'm, I'm the one with the struggle. I'm the one with the problem here. James is not trying to embarrass us or embarrass anybody with this. He is simply saying, heaven, help us. We have a problem here. He's introducing these questions like this. And in a world driven by participation trophies, entitlement, feelings over facts, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, right? I'm going to ask you to say something that you rarely ever hear being asked for you to do in today's world. I'm going to ask you to look at your spouse, look at your friend, it's someone right next to you, whoever is maybe in front of you if you don't have anyone sitting next to you, and say to them these three words, I'm the problem. Can you do that? I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I didn't say, say, you're the problem. I heard some of you out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, the, I'm the problem. I'm going to look at you as your pastor, and I'm going to say to you right now, I'm the problem. A amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. That was way too much. No. <laughs> Don't. Oh. <laughs> uh. And here's the thing is that that's exactly what James is trying to help us to see in the midst of this when he's asking us these questions. I don't think he's trying to hurt us. I don't think he's trying to embarrass us. But basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to help us to understand, no, you keep pointing away from you. You keep pointing to the person next to you or to another individual or to someone in a particular office or government or everything else when really the only person I can change is me. I'm the problem. So we hear these questions that are coming from James. And, and, and then we read in the next verse, if you go to chapter 3, verse 14, and we're going back and forth, remember. So verse 14, it's going to say, Let them, he asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. The first, the first person who may have heard this, maybe this was his sermon manuscript, I don't know, and they raised his hand, he's like, I got you, because he immediately says, you know, well, let them show it by their humility. Whoops, I didn't mean to put my hand up, right? <laughs> but I'm really wise and understanding. <laughs> because you see, godly humility leads to wisdom. Now, Contrast that with the other side over there in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Then he answers for them, Don't they come from your inner desires that battle within you? I mean, immediately when someone there would have been like, Oh, yeah, I know it, you know, it's Gary. Gary's my issue. <laughs> he would have, James would have looked at me and he says, Don't they come from your inner desires, Matt? Whoops. He got me. <laughs> I, 
I want to ask you today, you see, not only do we understand, before I get to that question, that our common predicament points to the most important question of our life, and I, I want to ask you this in question because this common predicament that we find ourselves in, where we're like, heaven help us, we have a problem, it, it, it makes you have to ask and, and have to answer, really, this question. And, and here's what James really is kind of trying to point us towards here as we go back and forth. What is your greatest desire? Just think about that for a moment. What is your greatest desire? Just be honest. You can't lie to God. He already knows what it is. What is your greatest desire? I was pastoring at a church, and one of the guys there, a great, good Christian man, uh, began a business. He had had it for many years, actually bought it from the guy he used to work for, who was his boss. And, and it was there on Main Street in this town, and, and it was a furniture store, and, and he, he prided himself on being a great salesman, and he was a good salesman, and still is a good salesman. Does a great job. I mean, he can sell you just about anything. One day I went in to visit with him, and he and I had that type of relation. I rarely joke around with anybody, but, you know, I, once in a while I'll try to. And uh, so we, I go into his office. He's like, I'll be right back. Um, i got to help this guy out here. I'm almost done. Sure, no problem. The phone rings, um, and I, I, I didn't answer it. It just went to a, a voicemail. But I thought, I want to help him out. So I wrote a note to him on a Post-it note, and I said on that note, I said, call Mr. Lyons, and I looked up a number and I wrote this number down for him. And I said, he wants furniture for his den. And so he comes back and I said, oh, you know, you missed that call. You need to make this call. Here's, here's the notes for you. He's like, oh man, I'll be right on it. I mean, he, he, one of his greatest things, he just took this pride and he was a great salesman. And he calls up the number and when he calls the number, they said, uh, Wichita Zoo. And he says, hi, I'm calling for Mr. Lyons. He's wanting to have some furniture for his den. And uh, <laughs> there was this long silence. You could just see this look on his face. I mean, he was intent on making the sale, though. And so he, he's like, uh, they're like, I think you got the wrong number. Someone's messing with you or something. Oh, no, um, my pastor said that I got a call from here from Mr. Lyons. Is this the number? He recites the number to them. <laughs> He goes through the whole thing, and they're like, sir, this is the Wichita Zoo. Mr. Lyons doesn't work here. And he looks at me and gets this huge grin and just, oh, I'm going to get you, Pastor. <laughs> anyway, and, but here's the thing. He had this great desire to be a great businessman. He, and, and he, but and we have these desires in our life, and we all naturally are pulled towards them. But I want to ask you, what is your greatest desire. What is your greatest desire? His, one of his desires was to make a sale, but I guarantee you if you asked him, his greatest desire was to be like Jesus. I believe that of you as well, but but I, I say this and I ask this question because here's the thing, your greatest desire will determine your core values. 
Whatever your greatest desire is, it's going to determine your core values. What those things that drive you in your life. And I want you to remember this morning, and I want you to know if you don't hear anything else, that Jesus' greatest desire revealed his core value. And his core value was revealed in the fact that he went on the cross and he died for you and every individual, whoever has been born, whoever will be born, Jesus died for you. And it reveals that his greatest desire is to know you and to have a relationship with you, to give you this gift of forgiveness, because more than anything else, his core value is you. Isn't it a great God that we serve? That would leave heaven, that would leave everything that was perfect and come live amongst us to be our Savior. Yes, our Lord disciplines. Sometimes God will say no. Sometimes God says not now. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait But when he does it, you can count on this because we understand his core value as he loves you and wants relationship with you. Whatever his answers are, it's because he loves you. There's a time in our life, in Jackie and my life, our lives and our married life where we we have prayed and Jackie specifically prayed a prayer one time and, and it's a dangerous prayer. I'm going to ask you not to pray this prayer unless you're ready to pray this prayer and whatever it may bring. But there was someone who we love and there's someone who we just, more than anything else, we wanted this individual to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we prayed this prayer, Lord, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to win them to the Lord. Whatever it takes to bring this individual closer to you. Whatever it takes, Lord. The great news is, the prayer was answered, but the prayer was not easy. Do you hear me? But what do you value the most? More than anything else. Do you you value this Lord, this God that would leave his throne of heaven and come to die for you. A group of men were sitting around and they were different from different religious backgrounds and they were saying things like, well, you know what? You know, your God is Buddha and your God is this and your God is, you know, I'm, I'm Hindu. And, I'm, and, and, and they were all talking about, you know, how they have to do their best and they have to work their hardest and just do so much to try to reach this God at the top of the mountain. And, and they were doing so much and they said, you know what, here's what I'm doing. And they would each just kind of brag about all the things that they would do. And it was this legalistic mindset that all of them were having. And And in the midst of that group, there was a Christian man who happened to be a missionary in that area. And he says, well, I listened to all of their stories about how they struggled to get to God at the top of the mountain. All of their different ways. And after they were done, he finally said to them, let me tell you about a God. The one I believe is the one and only God who came down from the mountain to be with you. And he began to share with them about our Lord Jesus Christ, who God incarnate, who came here to earth 
to live and die amongst us. To show us the way. To give us a gift that we can accept or that we can reject of salvation. And I think about that and I think, man, what an amazing God you and I serve. He goes on. He says in this next section of this portion of Scripture, and uh, verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, and you might want to just underline that section there. There's two words, or, or highlight them on your tablet. But, and if you harbor envy and selfish ambition, those words selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You just own up to it. Such wisdom that comes from selfish ambition, it does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you might want to underline that again, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And when he's talking about selfish ambition there, and the reason why I'm asking you to underline it is because what he's asking you about, what he's probing about is what is your greatest desire? What is your ambition in life? What drives you to get up in the morning? What keeps you going through the day when you're in the ups or in the lows? What keeps moving you? And he's asking you, where does it come from? Where's your ambition because that points to your greatest desire. That parallels over with chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, you desire, and you might underline that word there, desire, but do not have, so you, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? I read this section of Scripture, these two contrasting parallels there and 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 i'm reminded that you know we are being pointed towards this understanding again what is our greatest desire and sometimes people have read this portion of scripture particularly in chapter four where it says you adulterous people don't you know the friendship with the world means enmity with god and they've gotten way off track and they said you know what uh, the things that break god, god's heart are the people that god died for through jesus christ his son uh, they shouldn't be that important to us because they're a part of the world have you heard that before well you know what it, it, it says you know friendship with the world and but i remind you then when you interpret Scripture, you always need to interpret it through the lens of who Jesus Christ is. Because remember, if you were to say, you know what, I can't go there, or I can't be friends with them, or I can't do that, or whatever else, to win people to Jesus Christ, if that is your greatest desire, if that is part of your core values, if you were to say that, then you would be going against everything that Jesus had exampled for us. Don't you remember that there was a time when Jesus... He was having dinner, and, and actually he, he had asked him, short little guy who was up in a sycamore tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, can I come to your place for dinner? You might have heard this story. 
And so Zacchaeus came down to, from the tree, and they go over to eat. And, and then he's eating there, and he's eating there not only with tax collectors, who were people who were stealing money from people. Uh, I mean, uh, you might feel that way now, but I mean, it was just blatant <laughs> this time. They were stealing money from people. And then there were prostitutes, and there were sinners, and there were publicans. And there was all types of different people there in this, in this group that he was having a meal with. And the Pharisees sat back, and they're like, oh, man, what is he? He's so, he's so bad. What is he doing eating and drinking with these people? Why would he be having and spending time with them? It, obviously, he's not the son of God. Oh, yes, he was. And his core values and his greatest desires were being revealed as he met with the people who needed him most. And here's the thing, for you and me, for me, I'll just point it myself. Maybe I would have been the first one that said, oh, I'm wise, I'm understanding. Oh, you know what? Yeah, there's issues and there's problems. And I'm going to point to so-and-so and so-and-so there. And you know what? God says, you know what? You're not ready probably for me yet because you haven't learned how to be humble before me. But there are going to be some people out there who need. They are hurting. They are broken. They are ready. They are the ones that need me. Going after him. All the Pharisees were, uh, they were still trying to decide if he measured up to their standards. And yet there were so many people who were like, I'm broken and I need words of healing today. And Jesus came for them and he's coming for you. Thank God for this kind of Lord that we serve. You see, we see how his answer is revealed. I mean, these, these portions of Scripture, you know, they are revealing to us, you know, and they're pointing to us again, you know, towards the question of what is your greatest desire? Um, because, and he goes on to say, if you look in verse, uh, verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, he's referring back to Galatians 5, a good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And that parallels with chapter 4, verse 7, where we read, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And here's the thing that you find very interesting in this portion, this parallel. And I'm going to stick with chapter 4 here. As he tells us, submit yourselves then to God. He tells us, come near to God, and he will come near to you. He tells us, wash your hands, purify your hearts, and it reminds me that we have a part to play. Sometimes we say, well, I came and I, I knew God. I, I gave my heart to him when I was just a, a little kid. And, you know, or I, I, I know who God is. We're good friends. You know, we've shaken hands. And, and we have an understanding, me and God. Ah, God wants so much more than that. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. And he's saying to you, he's saying right here in this, in this portion of Scripture that you have a role to play. You need to submit yourselves to him. If you want, if he's your greatest desire, then submit yourself 
to God. If, if he's your greatest desire, you better come near to him. You better come after him. You better read scripture. You need to pray because you know what? As you draw near to him, he in turn draws near to you. And the great thing is when we have him as our greatest desire, he can use anything in our lives to do great things for him. This past week, we, we went on a mountain biking trip and uh, just, a, just a trail. It was Jerry and Eric and I and, and uh, anyone who wants to come tomorrow night, 5 o'clock, you're welcome to come with us. We're meeting here at the church. But here's the thing is when we got to the trailhead, we rode down the Centennial Trail, we got to the trailhead and Jerry said to us, he said, you know what, um, I think we should pray before we begin on this trail. You see, because our greatest desire was not to ride a bike on the trail, our greatest desire, even in the midst of doing those things that we love, was still to get to know Jesus. Be in his creation. Lord, recreate me. It's recreation, but recreate me, Lord. And, and we, in everything that we, can do, we do, can honor God when he is our greatest desire. Well, so I come to a close with this portion. I want to I ask you again, what is your greatest desire? Because when your greatest desire lines up with God's will, here's what it's called. It's called holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. And, and, and really what that means, it means, and you're asked, what is this holiness? What does that mean? It means that you have said, you know what? I am going to submit. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. And I'm going to say yes to God's will and no to my will every step of my life. And, and I may mess up, and when I do, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just continue in that. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to draw near to God and allow him to draw near to me so that I can continue in the right path. I want him to be my everything. The holy answer, so to speak, would be that your greatest desire is to be like Jesus. And some may say, well, you know what, and there may be some of you right now who might be thinking right now, that's, you're asking too much, Pastor. That's way too much. Are you kidding me? I, I can't, I'm not going to spend my whole life trying to be like Jesus. But I'm going to say to you, is it really asking too much? God leaves his heavenly throne to live and dwell among us, to teach to experience, to example to us, and then die for us, to have a relationship with him. And we say, I think asking Jesus to be our greatest desire is just asking too much, Pastor. Do you really think that's true? I don't know about you, and I, and I can't answer for you, and you can't answer for me, but I believe a God who gives up everything for me. And I believe that a God who would give up everything for our world and give up everything for you is worthy of me giving up everything for him. I don't think it's asking too much. So I spend my life trying to be like Jesus. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or I'm not a pastor. It's, it's what I know I'm called to do. And so I ask you today, as you 
our thinking on these words of Scripture. As we are getting ready even to have a you know, look at this paper where we kind of pared down some of the greatest uh, core values that you uh, wrote out last week, and it's down to 20, and I want you to go through and, and, and work on that a little bit after we're done with the sermon today. But, but as, we, as we get to that place, I want you to seriously get to a place where you honestly, before God, answer the question, what is my greatest desire? I'm going to ask Bernard to go ahead and get ready. Um, I, I, I'm thankful for this time of this, uh, this sermon and, and service today where we get to do um, a uh, baptism. And I, we were talking about baptism, a few of us out, so where Bernard and Jean keep their, their horses. And uh, they invited us out, and we enjoyed, had a great time with them, and and we began just discussing, what does baptism mean to you? And what does it mean to... And, and in the midst of that, Gene uh, came up to me afterwards and he said, I, I would like to be baptized. I thought, excuse me, Bernard. Gene <laughs> can be baptized too. Um, but Bernard said to me, I would like to be baptized. And I said, I said that, would be, that would be just great. And, and he said, I, I don't know when, I don't know how, we just had a baptism. I said, well, we'll work it out. And, and so I tell you what, he shared some of his testimony with me, and it was just amazing. And I thought to myself, man, you know what? It, it doesn't matter whether you're young, whether you're in the middle, whether you're old. We all need to testify to our greatest desire through baptism. Amen? Because what happens when we are baptized is we're saying, you know what? And I remember Larry saying, even in the midst of that time, you know, it's like I just put a stake in the ground and I said, this is where I stand. And I love that, that he shared that with us. But it's, this is Bernard's way of saying to us, you know what? This is my stake in the ground. This is where I stand. That Jesus is my greatest desire. Man, what a wonderful, wonderful testimony to give. And so today, as we are preparing to have this baptism with Bernard, I just want to ask you just to take a moment. Would you just close your eyes and, and just think about, where is my stake in the ground? What is my greatest desire? Where do my core values flow from? Just take a moment and reflect on that with the Lord today. Bernard, it's great to have you out here with us, and I know that you have some words you'd like to share with our congregation before we baptize you today. The words I have to say were, we actually recorded, but probably not for the first time in my life, I broke the camera. <laughs> 
So I'm Bernard Place. My wife, Jean, and I, we've worshipped here since last December. I know many of you, some I don't, and I hope to know you all. When I was a, a child, I was raised up in the church, and somewhere early in life, I, I believed I was baptized. And I went through life for decades believing that. And finally, I begin to question that. And although I don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation, I got to checking and researching, and I couldn't find any record of my baptism. I couldn't find any witnesses. And so now today, one day short of my 75th birthday, I come to be baptized. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to help me get in. Larry. Hey, Larry, can you come on up? testified to the fact that the Lord Jesus is your Savior, and you have testified to the fact that you know him, that he is your great desire, and so today it is my pleasure and my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In 1904, revival swept across Wales. God made himself known in a very special and personal way. After the revival, a Welshman ventured halfway across the world to India, and he trekked up the mountains towards a remote village in the east. He was told, go back. The tribe in that village are famously violent. But the Welshman ignored the warnings because even these savage headhunters should have the opportunity to hear about the mercy of God. One tribesman and his family heard the gospel and received Jesus as their savior. The good news was too good to keep to themselves and they shared the gospel with others in the tribe. The chief was very angry and he had the tribesman and his family dragged before the village. 
Stop following Jesus, the chief demanded. The tribesman replied, No, I have decided to follow Jesus. I am not turning back. The chief was furious and killed the tribesman's children. Stop following Jesus, the chief insisted. The tribesman replied, Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. The chief showed no mercy, and he killed the tribesman's wife. Now you will stop following this Jesus, the chief said. The tribesman looked the chief in the eyes and replied, The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. The chief could not believe his ears and he killed the tribesman. Jesus said, if a grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. And that day, many of the villagers who witnessed the persecution of that tribesman and his family also decided to follow Jesus. Even the chief himself became a follower of Jesus Christ. The tribesman's last words became the song of the village, and today it is sung all around the world. I have decided to follow Jesus. Just stand with me as we sing together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Oh, 
Amen. Lord, thank you for this great day and this great celebration where we say thank you, God, for instilling us and even giving us the grace to make you our greatest desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, real quick, before you go, I'm going to ask you to be seated once again. And you found, thank you, on your chair when you got here, there should have been a paper that said core values on it. And that paper uh, has 20 core values listed that came off of the, I don't know, 80 to 100 we had last week. And we've pared it down to those 20. If you would put in the top five of those that would be your core values to help us as our church discover our core values together and put them over there in that top five in the top right-hand corner of that paper. And then next, find that one that's listed in those five, that says, you know what? If there's one that's just, you know, sums it all up for me, here's where it's at. And write that down for us. It's going to help us as your church leadership, as you, your pastor, um, to help us discover our core values. Because here's what's happening is as we move forward together in Jesus Christ, answering this question, what is our greatest, excuse me, desire as a church? Our core values are going to lead and guide us in that direction. Take a moment and do that. And when you do, there's a table right in front of the sound booth. If you would just drop them off there as you go. And, uh, and I want to say thank you in advance for filling that out and having that done for us. We will get the results to you soon. I, I know you're probably in the middle of doing that right now, but I just want to tell you thank you for being here with us today. Are you glad you came to church today? Yes, it's good to be a part of God's family. We are thankful to the Lord. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. You take your time to finish those, and as you go, if you would put them in the back, that would be great. Lord, we thank you again for this day. Thank you, God, for the celebration that we've been able to do with Bernard and, and just in his testimony and sharing the fact that he has made the decision, I'm following you, Lord and I'm not turning back. God, we celebrate that. And God, today, I pray that you will help re-inspire, reignite that fire in each one of us, Lord, where we have decided you are our greatest desire. We're following you. We're not turning back. We pray these things, and I pray your greatest power, strength, and blessing upon the people in this room. And I thank you, God, for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you are dismissed. And you can go in God's great grace and power and strength today.